I want to introduce our speaker this morning. I want to say that you will be hearing about the contest results, but the fact of the matter is there are still, uh, there are still all kinds of canned goods and things yet to be packed on the school side if you go down that hallway. So they're still working hard to try to uh, win uh, the, the contest against the church. And uh, I was very happy to hear Pastor Jim say the church is in good stead. So thank you for uh, helping me not to lose the contest. But you'll be hearing in the days ahead once we get the final count. So we're not ignoring that today. We know you're interested in that. Today, you have a wonderful privilege of hearing from one of our young men in ministry. He has gone through all of the processes through the district, uh, Crossroads District of the Westland Church. And he has just about everything in order with the exception of fulfilling some time commitment in ministry uh, to move toward his ordination. And I just am so thankful for a number of young people that have come. They've, They've selected this church as a spiritual laboratory in which to learn how to be excellent for God as he uses them and their spiritual gifts and leadership in the days ahead. Let me give you a couple of quick quotes and then I'm going to get him up here. These are quotes about what you as a church family are allowing to take place here in this place. One of the greatest values of mentors is the ability to see ahead what others cannot see and to help them navigate a course to their destination, unquote. That's a powerful statement. It's part of what we're trying to allow opportunity for. Here's an anonymous quote. A lot of people have gone further than they thought they could because someone else thought they could, unquote. We believe that our young people who are learning, who are being mentored by our staff, by myself, some of the lay leaders in the life of the church, we believe great things for them in the Lord. They need and deserve an opportunity to develop their skills and their commitment to serving God. And that's what we're trying to do. So this morning, I'm here. Someone could say, well, why aren't you in the pulpit? Because we're mentoring and giving opportunities for young people to grow, to develop, whatever. So this morning, out in the, uh, in the audience today are a handful of folks that Pastor Jared has given forms to, and they will be reporting on what he is giving us by way of the word of testimony today. That will be going back to him as feedback, and then that will be passed on to his professors at the university. And this is a part of a laboratory work that we are doing to provide this. Now, if I was locked into a system where people said, look, if the pastor's not in the pulpit, something's wrong. He's got banker's hours. He's taking it too easy. Uh, He should be working harder or whatever. That would be a terrible spirit. I'm thankful that's not here. And I'm thankful that even though we don't have our Sunday evening services where some of these kinds of things could happen, they need to happen on a Sunday morning. And so why now? Well, he's come to the end of the time when he's got to get one more preaching assignment under his belt before the professor says, no more time. And so uh, we said, we're going to make a place for you to do that. If you appreciate love and believe in this young man, Pastor Jared Webb, let's give God praise and glory as he comes. God bless you.
Well, I'm thankful for you all this morning. It is a joy to be able to serve you all. Now, if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. Might have to look in the contents for that one. It's not one you hear about a lot. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Again, that's chapter 3 in the book of Habakkuk, verses 17 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tell you a story about a man named Mr. Opo. Mr. Opo was kind of different. He reacted opposite to what you would expect him to. So, for example, he went through deep grief when he married his wife. He laughed when his son fell off the trampoline and broke his arm. He was surprised every year when the government expected him to pay taxes. Grumpy when he had gotten enough sleep. Delighted when his wife was upset with him about his inappropriate behavior. Jealous of a man who had a 97 Geo Prism when he had a 2017 Cadillac Escalade. Frustrated when his vacation went exactly as planned. Thankful that his car repairs were more than expected. Lonely when he's, when he's with his best friends. Confused when everything made sense. Encouraged when people tore him down about his tacky dress habits and halitosis. Needless to say... <laughs> Mr. Opo was different. Our reactions in life matter, don't they? They tell us something about what's in here. And what I just read to you is Habakkuk's reaction at the end of the book to what God was doing. But how did we get here? So Habakkuk is a prophet. He's called a minor prophet, not because he's insignificant, but because his book is shorter than the rest. And he's in this place where he sees all the sin going on among the people of God. And he cries out to God, where are you? Why have you made me to see this sin? I'm knee deep in it. But you're not doing anything about it. Where are you? And God replies in a way that isn't what we would expect. God's like, don't worry, Habakkuk. I got it. I'm raising up the Babylonians to take care of it. They're murderers. They're fearsome. It's all going to be great. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But God was raising up this evil people to fix this problem among the people of God. 
And so naturally, Habakkuk's like, what? The Babylonians? God, how could you raise up somebody more unrighteous than we are, even though we're unrighteous right now, to bring us down? Why would you raise someone up who doesn't even believe in you, who believes in their own power, to put forth your work? I'm confused. I'm going to stand on my watch post and wait for you to answer. And so God replies, Habakkuk, pull out your tablet. Write this down. Not your iPad, the actual stone tablet. (laughs) Write this down so people can know. The Babylonians are going to be brought down. The righteous will live by faith. And God goes on, and he shows how the sins of the Babylonians will bring them down. And after listening to all that, Habakkuk prays, God, I've heard report of you. I know the stories about you. So the things that are probably going through his mind is the fact that God delivered the Israelites from the land of Egypt, that God put a baby in Sarah's womb, even though that didn't look like it was going to happen. The God that delivered Joseph from slavery. The God that delivered the people of Israel. And Habakkuk's like, where is all that? I want that. And all of a sudden he sees this vision of God. God comes down from the heavens. His splendor surrounds him. Mountains are shaking. They're deflating like balloons. God looks like a warrior coming after someone, going after the wicked. And who is he saving? His people. Habakkuk. And at the end of that, Habakkuk says, my lips quivering. My body's trembling. My bones feel like they're rotting. And I don't like what I see. But I'll wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us, if that's what your will is. And that brings us back to this verse that I just read it to you, and I'm going to read it again. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. That's all well and good, Habakkuk, but how did you get there? How'd you get from looking at desolation and your life is being threatened to praising the Lord? How'd you get there? And what's even more confusing is he goes from this picture of war to all of a sudden famine. Have you ever listened to a really smart person talk about something? And they're just flying through these concepts, these theories. They get from point A to point Z and you're like, I don't even know where the middle was. That's what it kind of feels like here. Habakkuk, why did you go from war to famine? 
starts to make a little more sense when you know that the Babylonians were known for cutting down all the life that stood in their way. Not only would they take over all the people, they would cut down all the trees, they would burn all the crops, it would all be desolate so you could see the might of Babylon. And so Habakkuk knows that if the Babylonians come, not only is he going to lose his land, but he's not going to have any food. Everything is going to be desolate. Gone. But what did Habakkuk mean by the things he chose to highlight? Because there's something more here. Why did he talk about figs? Why did he talk about all this stuff? There's a pattern emerging. So the first thing that Habakkuk talks about is the figs. Now, what are figs? Everyone Who enjoys a good fig, Newton? I know Pastor Zach does. I think he's Roman. Yeah, there he is. There he is. So... Figs were a delicacy, right? So when Christ was going to eat a fig, and then he cursed the fig tree, he was trying to have a little snack. He was trying to get a snack on, okay? But it's not a big deal if you lose the figs. It's like, ah, oh, darn it, the figs are gone, but we'll make it. And then he moves on to the grapes. Now, grapes were a daily drink. They drank wine. Now, obviously, Habakkuk wasn't a Wesleyan pastor. Otherwise, this would have been a lot easier for him. But he's like, man, the wine's going to be gone. Ah. It's like, no biggie, but we're still going to praise the Lord. That kind of stinks, but we're going to move forward. And then he moves to the olives. Now, olives were for cooking. Olives were for lighting. So now it's starting to get a little more serious. All right, cooking's going to get a little harder, and we're not going to have any light at night. But God is still praiseworthy. And then he moves on to the fields, which means the grain. And their main diet was bread. Their bread was a lot more nutritious than ours. (laughs) And now bellies are starting to be hungry. They're growling, churning. People are starting to say, God, where are you? But I'll still praise you. And then the sheep and the goats, which were symbols of wealth, which signified wool and meat, so clothing and meat. And then he finally moves to the cattle, the drive of the farming community. Now there's absolutely no meat There's nothing in the land. Everything seems hopeless. No food, no nothing. Habakkuk is increasing the severity of the hardship in this song. When it gets to the worst of the worst, I'll praise him. And what does Habakkuk do? He could have just sat there and pouted. Do you remember the story of Jonah? Remember how at the end Jonah just sat there and was upset outside of Nineveh? Habakkuk could have done that, but he didn't. Habakkuk could have just put on an enduring face and not even had any joy, and that would have been better than Jonah. 
but he has active joy. Yet, though the fig tree does not blossom, though there's no cattle in the stalls, yet, even though, despite the fact, I will, it is certain, I am going to, not I might, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, I am going to rejoice in the Lord. I will triumph in his victory. I'm going to celebrate that team God has won. And he goes on, I'll take joy. Now the Hebrew word for joy here, literally translated means to spin. So Habakkuk is literally doing cartwheels for God. Jumping for joy. This isn't just, yeah, I'm happy about God. He's celebrating. Woo! It's confusing. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I will take joy in the God of my salvation, in the supreme ruler of my victory, of my hope, of my deliverance. And he goes on, God the Lord is my strength, or in other words, Yahweh Adonai. And when Habakkuk says Yahweh Adonai, that means the God of the covenant promise. The God who has made the promise and who will come through. The God who is always behind his people. And now it comes a sort of confusing part. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread upon the high places. Now we love hunting in Indiana. I'm sure all of you know what a deer is. But there's not really any high places for deers to tread, deer to tread in Indiana, is there? See, the Hebrew word here is actually hinds, like hind legs. And we can't be certain exactly what Habakkuk had in mind. But there's this animal in Israel. It looks sort of like a deer. It's an expert at jumping on the heights. So I want to show you a video. All it can do is wait for one to slip and fall. But these youngsters are fast learners and they're now almost as sure-footed as their parents. will have to find its meal elsewhere. Now, if I tried to do that, I would just tumble down. <laughs> With that animal, it's called the ibex. And the ibex is known for being able to jump on all that rocky terrain. 
And it's something that Habakkuk might have seen. And he knew, God, you will make me as sure-footed as that animal. The heights that are in my life, you'll make look easy to traverse. High places in that time signified control over an area. Political control. If you had the high places, you had the land. And so Habakkuk is saying, God will make me go up these heights, all these difficulties in my life, so that I may have the victory. That I might traverse the rocks of life. God allows evil to come, but he will save the righteous. Circumstances change, but God stays the same. Now, what does this have to do with today? Because we don't have any fig trees here. We look at it again, maybe figs could be equalized to chocolate. Man, it would stink if the chocolate left. But, all right, we're pushing through. Grapes could be equalized with soda, orange juice, milk. Ah, darn it. We're going to make it through. Olives could be likened to electricity and cooking oil. Grain could be likened to cereal and bread and carbs. All the stuff that makes you have a belly. Sheep and cattle could be likened to clothes, farming equipment, cars, animals, meat, all of it. But is that it? Is that all this passage has to say to us today? Is it just about when my favorite bag of chips isn't at the store? Is it just about when the TV has stopped working in the living room? Is it just about when the electricity is turned off and the stores are out of eggs? Is it just about when food is scarce and our bellies are hungry? Is it just about when the economy is failing and our needs aren't met? Or could it also be about when our best friend, our spouse, dies? Could it be when you go through a divorce and all of life seems wrong? When you're betrayed and it feels like part of your life has been wasted? Could it be when you lose your job and money's tight? It's when someone we love goes to jail. It's when we learn we have cancer and death is imminent. It's when we have an amount of debt that feels insurmountable. It's when the kids have stopped listening to us. It's when our family has rejected us. It's when we have a habit we can't kick. It's when you're not satisfied with your life. It's when you feel like you don't have purpose. It's anything that gets you asking the same question Habakkuk had at the beginning of the book. God, where are you? Where are you? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared. I thought I was your righteous one. Why aren't you here? And Habakkuk could have just sulked. He could have just sat there and whined, but he doesn't. How does he do it? 
How does he end up having joy in the midst of absolute desolation? It's not even him just saying words. This is literally a song he has written. I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk wasn't going to slowly traverse the difficulties in his life. He was going to fly up them, sure-footed on the rocks of tribulation, making it look easy. Church, I hope there's someone in the room this morning that can testify that just because God helps us, it isn't easy. There's still rocks. There's still heights. So at this point, you're probably wondering two things. One, how has he gotten this far in a Thanksgiving message and not said thankfulness? And two, all right, I get it. I'm supposed to be joyful, but how? How am I supposed to be joyful? Because it is hard. There are people in this room who have things to be thankful for. And there are people in this room who have reasons not to be thankful. And I want you to realize that there's probably going to come a point in all of our lives when we're going to be tempted to not be thankful. Rocks of tribulations are going to come. Things are going to blind inside us. It's just going to happen. But are you going to be ready when it comes to turn to him? How did Habakkuk get his joy? Well, first, he realized that God's salvation was coming. I want you to think for a moment a world with no hope. Just death, endings, pain, nothing. No entrances into the kingdom of God. No Jesus coming down to die for our sins. No hope. I'll picture it with salvation. Habakkuk realizes that even though all this stuff is happening, God's going to come through. That's why he says, even if it gets to the worst of the worst, my God is going to come through because the worse it gets, the greater the salvation is. The more the desolation, the greater the salvation, the greater the celebration. But there's something more than that. Because I can just tell you that God is coming. And you can know it here. But do you know it here? Because it's different. And that's what Habakkuk, why Habakkuk sings a song. Because it's here. Not because it's here. Habakkuk knew it here. That's why he says at the beginning of chapter 3, God, revive your works. I know them. I know them. But it wasn't here yet. It wasn't until after he experienced the Lord and had that vision from God that it moved to here. So how do you get joy? How do you move from desolation to joy? How does David say something like, let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. How does Job say something like, though he slay me, I will hope in him. 
It's because all of those men, specifically Habakkuk, dwelt with the Lord. No way around it. He didn't just go and hear the sermon about God being good. He took it to the prayer closet. He dwelt with the Lord. He let the Lord witness to his heart and not just his mind of how good his goodness is. And then he realized that as the people of God, as Christians, we have the privilege to refuse to be held hostage by any evil we encounter. Joy now, joy then, joy everlasting. Victory in whatever pain may encounter our lives. But no way around dwelling with the Lord. I can stand up here and tell you continually that the Lord is good. But if you don't go and seek him on your own and sit with him, not just for five minutes, you'll never know here. And you'll never have the joy that Habakkuk has because there's no way around it. Only the Holy Spirit, only an experience with God can give us that counterintuitive joy. Now, does that mean that we just skip our initial emotions? Does that mean I just suppress my emotions when something bad happens to me? How many times has it worked to say to someone who's gone through, lost absolutely everything, and just saying to them, God is good, fix everything? Oh, I forgot. You know, you're right. Everything's fine. It's great. You're right. I forgot that. Thanks. It doesn't work. Do we discount the emotions we feel at the beginning? Do we suppress them? Do we push them down? No. I want to read you a part from a Time Magazine article about emotions and the importance of letting them out. Emotional stress like that blocked from blocked emotions has not only been linked to mental ills, but also to physical problems like heart disease, intestinal problems, headaches, insomnia, and autoimmune disorders. And further in the article, it says, We cannot stop our emotions from being triggered as they originate from the middle section of our brain that is not under conscious control. Unquote. God has made us to feel. That doesn't mean you just discount the pain in your life. If your child dies, cry. If you lose your spouse, grieve. If you see injustice, be angry. Need I remind you that Jesus Christ himself, even though he knew he was going to bring Lazarus back from the grave, cried about Lazarus being dead. Don't push back your emotions. Do you want joy? There's two keys to it. Acknowledge the hurt the emotion, but then dwell with the Lord. And so in closing, we need to end up in the end like Mr. Opo. 
We need to acknowledge the hurt in our lives and dwell within the Lord. But in the end, we need to end up like Mr. Opo. Having an emotion that is counterintuitive to what everyone thinks we should have. Having a joy that testifies to the goodness of our God. Having a joy that testifies to the goodness of dwelling with him. Reverend James Wolfendale says, In all our clouds, we may find sunshine and passing scenes colored with future glory. Church, there are clouds in here right now. And there's going to be clouds until Jesus Christ returns. The question is, are you going to remember that there's a sun shining behind him? Are you going to have the joy that he is good despite all the difficulties in this life? All it takes is having an honest conversation with him. All it takes is actually seeking his presence. And I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. And you are worthy of being joyed in even in the midst of all the desolation that surrounds our lives. I pray that you would make us a people that dwell with you, not that just know about you, but know you in our hearts. Make us people that can do cartwheels for you no matter what that always are looking to your sons returning for the day that when we are reunited with you. In the precious and wonderful name of Jesus Christ, who's given all of us this grace, we pray. Amen.